Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. One of them is beware the confirmation trap when analysing data. We're also going to have a chat with Christina about testing your innovation. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Kelvin Holiday from the Transformational Group. Good afternoon, Kelvin. Hey, young Julian. Good to be there. Um, I hope you're enjoying the conference you're at. Oh, mate, we're having a ball down here, <laughs> so I'm hoping that it's not too noisy in the background for you. No, sounds good. Well, so we're going to have a talk about uh, why businesses struggle to break through to the next level. What do you think is one of the most common reasons why businesses struggle to break through? I, I think, Julian, that um, there's really three major problems that I see, and look, I've experienced this myself and seeing in a lot of businesses. And I think the first one is um, the income side of things, so and cash flow, uh, whether it be uh, generating enough business, you know, getting enough people to, to buy your product or service um, uh, to come in the door, and or generating enough people uh, and keeping them, you know, which is a, which is really the next point, is that customer engagement. I think. Um, if we got, if we've spent the time to uh, to find a customer, um, we need to be able to uh, engage them and keep them engaged. And the third one that I see most people are struggling to, to really break through is um, we only get twenty four hours in a day, and most of us have got to sleep sometime, and uh, and that's really to get that enough time to, to leverage. And um, how do you leverage your time and get the most out of that to be able to um, satisfy your customer need and also to make the business grow? So when you, when you say leveraging, you're really saying how do we spend our time in the most effective way? Correct. Yeah, it's exactly right. So if you're doing a, um, for instance, you know, if you've got a service-based business, if you're doing one-to-one, well, you, you can only service as many clients as you've got hours in a day. Um, but if you can think of more effective ways to be able to put you know, three, four, five, you know, or a, a group of people together and still offer the same quality, um, you can now leverage your time and actually get a, a great resource happening. I know that the first one you mentioned, a lot of people, uh, when they're first going into business, have that fear, am I going to get enough income? Am I going to get enough customers? So uh, what strategies have you used to overcome some of these barriers? Look, it's, it's, it's been a journey for me, and I, I think uh, for a lot of the time, um, the struggle has been in my own mind. And uh, being able to get a mentor and stuff like that, to be able to really think about what is it that's going to make a difference. So I think uh, the old saying, uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing except being expecting a different result. And uh, it's no true when you're actually searching for leads and trying to grow a, a business is to understand that uh, the business um, community and, and, and society as well is changing at an extremely rapid pace. So some of the strategies I've used is going online. Um, you know, not everybody wants my service face to face. They want it, you know, they want to be able to uh, do it online. And uh, if you have a look at, you know, if you're a, um, a product based business, you just got to look at some of the stats. Um, you know, like twenty twenty one billion dollars was spent online in 2016, and that increased by 50% to over 31, uh, $32 billion, actually, in 2017. So um, having an online strategy and using those tech tools and everything to be able to help you to leverage your time is, is massive. And and the uh, the conference you're at today actually is talking about changing the mindset, isn't it? That's exactly right, yeah. So we, we, we've got a um, – uh, we're down here at a business blueprint conference uh, run by Dale Beaumont, and – um, we've got a guy named Dean, he's absolutely awesome, and uh, yeah, really, it's really starting to shake our minds up, that's for sure, trying to get us to think very much outside the box. What, what about the second the strategy for the second point uh, about increasing customers? It's, it's 
far as increasing customers, I think um, without customers, obviously our businesses are, um, are non-existent. So we've got to really nurture those. And I think a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to gather leads and find new customers, rather than considering that you know our existing customers, but we haven't got any way to engage them and keep them engaged and and keep them feeling like they're actually a part of what I would call a community. And I just thought that was another mindset that I had to change, and that that is that doesn't matter what the business is. You can create a community with it, and we see that with things like you know the coffee cards and the and a little you know the the reward programs and things like that come back. But just having a rewards program by itself is is not enough these days. You've got to have something else to be able to keep people engaged, and um, and so yeah, to, to keep the, the engagement happening out, whether it be a birthday card, and there's there's all sorts of tech tools again that can help you to be able to keep that engagement going. So collecting the data in the first place, so that you can actually engage the people in a meaningful way. It's not just matter of saying hello, it's about actually engaging them in on, on a special day or something that's very special for them. Yeah, and of course, uh, the uh, as you say, the tech tools available today, social media particularly, is a very easy and powerful tool. Oh, that's exactly right. And you get, and you get things also like a CRM, your client relations management tools all around. You know, everything is very cost-effective these days to be able to, to put out those personal sort of messages and, and not just filling your your mailbox or your in, inbox up with a bunch of junk, but, you know, be, being, being thoughtful about exactly what you're sending out. What about looking after our people? I mean, one of our biggest assets is our team members. How, how, yeah. how can we look after them? Well, this is, this is, this is my biggest, I, I think it's one of the biggest things we have in a lot of our area. And, you know, as a business owner myself, and, and all businesses start from a single person typically, or maybe two or three. And, and so we get so entrenched in we are the, the source of all knowledge and we hold all the IP in our head. And so if, if you're in a team environment where you've got multiple people and they keep on coming to you to ask questions, you're not empowering them to, to know the answers, um, it actually becomes a very disjointed and, and a very um, down-putting sort of relationship in your team because they don't feel like they're actually making decisions. So I think one of the biggest things is you know, creating some way an effective systems which the information can come out of your head and actually transfer to your team members so they feel like they're actually a part of it rather than mm. asking permission all the time. Mm. And, of course, that uh, relates very strongly to the other point you made earlier about our time management. If we keep it all in our heads, we're not going to be the most effective that we could be. No, that's exactly right, mate. I, and, and I know that firsthand. You know, it was um, for, you know, for many years in business, it was, it was only me and one or two other people, so it was quite easy. But now we're at a, a larger sort of size of our organisation. It is just, it's just not manageable. Otherwise, you, you, you become the blockage in the business. You might be passionate about it, but it just won't grow unless you actually you know, can leverage that time and, and, um, and let go. And it's, it's quite, quite often a hard thing to do. What, what would be your three tips to get a, a started business effective systems? Mate, I think it's that first one. It's that, what I call it a brain dump. Um, it is actually just getting a piece of paper and writing out all those things that you know that maybe somebody else doesn't and all those tasks that get done pretty much on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly and also yearly basis. Now, that sounds like a daunting task, but look, I've done it in my business, which is quite a complex one, um, and I review that all the time, but it only takes about an hour, hour and a half. And it's probably one of the most... Um, enlightening and refreshing sort of processes once you get it all on paper and you then realise how busy you are. So doing the brain dump is probably number one. Then I think it's really important for you to say, well, what are the things I like to do um, and what are the things that I need to do as a business owner? 
and you, st- you start going through that list. You might have you know, 100, 200, 300 tasks or things you are currently doing, and you realise there's only probably 10 or 20 that you really need to be doing. And then so you can delegate those off. And that brings me probably the highlight of the biggest, uh, biggest one of all is create a location where once you've brain- done this brain dump, you can build a system, um, whether it be you know, in, in written format, and it's generally better off in some sort of video or, um, or computer system. So a reservoir of that information so your team members can go to that and say, okay, then how do I do this? Instead of coming to you, they'll actually go to, um, to review that system. And uh, in, our, in our business, we call it TESS, uh, Transformational Electronic Simple Systems. It's just a really place. So as soon as somebody comes to me now and says, how do I do this? I decide I say TESS. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I've effectively, it's taken me you know, a number of years to, to really let go of control. But now it's quite easy because I know that the system keeps it, it consistency, it gives quality, and it makes a big difference in our business. Well, great. Thanks very much for your time today, Kel. Um, get, you can get back to your conference. I, I'll see you down there on Sunday. Mate, look forward to seeing Julian. Thank you very much, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Kel Holiday there from the Transformational Group. Some very good ideas there to help your business go to the next level. And it's uh, 23 minutes past one. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to pop over and have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well. And it's an interesting subject, testing your innovation. What stage should we decide we've had enough and it's not going to work and we move on? It is very interesting. Um, I just need to tell you something else. I've just found out while I've been waiting um, waiting to, to speak with you, Jennifer Holland, who's in New York City at the moment, yeah. has just won Best Presenter at the life, in the Life Sciences section um, at the Venture Summit Awards in New York. So how exciting is that for her? Excellent, yeah. She's yeah, I know. We talk about her often. Spends yeah, a lot of time she, over there now. She does. and But isn't she a perfect example of testing and iterating a product? Um, which, you know, leads us into the, the topic that we decided to, to talk on today. There's a, a company um, or a, a medical company in Zurich, and what they're doing is testing artificial hearts um, mm. and how they can integrate it into human tissue. And what they've, what they've decided, and kind of, again, in hindsight, you kind of go, like, why didn't we think of that before or why didn't they think of that before? Instead of the separate parts that people have been creating out of hard materials, they've 3D printed an artificial heart Using soft, flexible material, so it's it's a whole unit instead of um, instead of coming together in different parts. But what it's meant is that the team can actually design a more complex inside structure for the for the heart, uh, and they've completed the pumping mechanism, which can be triggered by um, silicon ventricle devices, and they're developing artificial heart that's going to be roughly the same size as a human heart. Now they've tested it. Here we go into testing and iterating. They've tested it and decided that. Um, they can actually pump blood with this. Um, they can test it. They've tested it with a blood-like fluid. It's only working for half an hour at the moment. So the beauty of this is they've tested it. They've decided that it's that it's worth progressing because um, of the benefits, long-term benefits to it. They try doing something in one uh, in one material. They've progressed to using this soft silicon material, uh, but in the, at the end of the day, they're actually they're going to need to continue to work on the material, continue to iterate that way to come up with something that's going to have long-lasting effects. Mm. But obviously, at some stage, they have to decide, is it worth pouring all this money in, or is it really not going to work? 
That's right. And I think um, with them, with the medical, there's something like 26 million people worldwide that we know of that suffer from heart issues um, that, that could benefit from uh, testing like this. So they actually do weigh up the long-term um, economic results as well uh, and whether it's worth progressing further. But if they can 3D print a heart and what it is at the moment is a matter of finding the right material, then that's clearly something that people will, will continue to work on. Mm. But leading into that, so Elon Musk in November uh, last year was talking about having a solar roof on the Tesla, but he's recently this month killed the idea at the moment because it needs really complicated engineering and they've figured that it's not efficient enough to be worthwhile and also it's dependent on where the car is. So it's very much location-based. If you're Mm. somewhere where there's not going to be a lot of sun and it's quite clunky at the moment, they have to have this um, electronic mechanism that comes out and latches on and you know, feeds the motor and all this kind of not technical um, information that I'm not very good at. Uh, but, the, you know, the engineering involved just isn't worth, um, isn't worth continuing working on the process at the moment. Unless an engineer can come up with a much simpler and refined and also something that's going to work in multiple climates uh, and multiple locations, it's not worth it. But I, so, also... I suppose some of these ideas could then be put on hold for maybe 10, 10 years until the technology catches up. That's right, or until we surpass it. I know we yeah. were talking the other day about, you know, what we've already come this far. What happens if we go, you know, we're already talking about electronic vehicles uh, and, and solar-powered electronic vehicles, whatever, but then, you know, we, what if we're moving straight into beam-me-up Scotty situations in 20 years' time? The car's going to be defunct anyway. Here, <laughs> We're not going to need a car. Or the drone taxis that are that are apparently taking off, you know, uh, literally taking off yeah. uh, in Dubai yeah. over summer. So all these things, you know, but testing, iterating, so important. And as you said earlier, it's really important to know when to stop. When have you put enough money in? Um, as is happening with the with the Mars, um, put a put a human, you know, let's colonise Mars project at the moment. Um, NASA actually can't afford. They've said they can't afford to keep testing the way they're going. They're going into partnerships with some um, commercial organisations. Elon Musk being one of them again. Uh, but they they can't even get the they don't have enough money for the landing of um, the spaceships at the moment. Let alone creating the vehicles that will you know, travel people around the, the supposed mm. colony that we're looking at to build on Mars. Mm. So I suppose part of, it, part of our testing would then also be talking to the target market to find out whether it really is needed. But isn't, and isn't that always, isn't yeah. that at the crux of everything? I know we mentioned it week in, week out almost, ask your customer what they want. So out there, who wants to live on Mars out of the 7.6 billion people we've got on the planet at the moment? Who really wants to go and live on Mars? Great. Well, thanks very much for your time. Uh, We'll have a chat again next week. We will. I look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Christina there with some ideas of uh, that are happening and also the important... uh, are we really testing our ideas? Is it really worth proceeding? Is it really worth pouring all that money in? I'm sure we would understand that. We've got time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one, as we said earlier, beware the confirmation trap when analysing data. Data analysis can help us sort through complexity and make decisions. But even with the best analytics tool, we're still vulnerable to human mistakes. For instance, we are likely to pay more attention to findings that align with our beliefs and to ignore other facts and patterns in the data. This is called the confirmation trap. You can avoid it by trying to embrace information that counters your 
or your boss's beliefs by doing the following. First of all, specify in advance the data and analytical approaches on which you base your decision. This will reduce the temptation to cherry-pick findings that agree with your prejudice. Secondly, actively look for findings that disprove your beliefs. Ask yourself, if my expectations are wrong, what pattern would I likely see in the data? Enlist a sceptic to help you. And finally, treat your findings like predictions and test them. If you uncover a correlation from which you think your organisation can profit, use an experiment to validate that correlation. A little bit like what we were talking about earlier with testing our innovation, isn't it? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Just a reminder that uh, the uh, Hunter Region Business Excellence Awards 2017 has been going on for 24 years. You can enter your business and win one of these awards, but the closing date is next Friday, Friday the 28th of July. So if you want more information, go to www.huntervalleyhub.com.au or speak to them on 49362557. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to chat with Dean Firth from Baker Love Lawyers. We'll also be talking innovation with Christina and have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company for business, the law, and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Michael John Buback once said, all progress takes place outside the comfort zone. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>